Hey guys, at the YMCA Rebuild, we're in the business of reducing recidivism in Victoria, and in no way do we condone criminal activity discussed in these episodes. We support victims of crime and are committed to creating a safer community. I remember that my partner saying, what's the first thing you want to do when you get out? I said, to be honest, I said, just go for a walk down the street. Just you, me and the kids, we'll go down for a walk and just take everything in. Um, and, yeah, just the little things, like, things don't, things people don't even think of. Um, that's, that's what means the most to me now. Being able to kick the footy with my, my two in the, two boys in the backyard. Welcome to A Time To Rebuild, the podcast that explores the impact of crime, from incarceration to positive transformation and everything in between. Okay, Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mark. Good to be here. It's great to have you. Now, I'm going to cast your mind back. We didn't actually meet in Rebuild for the first time. We met in the classroom. That's right. You were being the instructor for the day. Instructor. That's right. An instructor. Instructor. Yeah. You ever been called an instructor before? Uh, I've been called a lot of things. <laughs> not an instructor. <laughs> Probably not an instructor. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no. And for people listening, we not only do we run the, run the rebuild program in the prison, but we also run a work readiness program, uh, which Paul participated in, along with our sports programs as well. So Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, our first time meeting was in the classroom and may I say he was a model student. Model student. <laughs> How was he as a instructor slash facilitator? Uh, tell you what, it was, a, it was a more laid back one out of the two. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we won't mention you know what, Dan? Oh, yeah. like moving on pretty <laughs> swiftly. <laughs> yeah, so... And that program there helps helps guys get ready for life after their time is served. Yeah. I actually really enjoyed that program. I haven't really done so much of the work readiness thing because as I was younger, I just kind of fell into work. Yeah. So like learning that kind of stuff was, was helpful and I enjoyed, enjoyed being part of that class. Yeah. Yeah. And you started work from a young age? Yeah. 15. Yeah. So I started work. Um, well, I wasn't doing so well in school. Year nine, I was kind of struggling mum and dad split up a bit i was actually doing a pre-up for carpentry and one of my mates go you know i've got this roof tiling job they go oh yeah it's pain all right okay yeah all right i'll give it a crack and i just kind of fell in it from, fell into it from there i ended up staying there until until i got incarcerated yep so you're doing your pre-apprenticeship i was yeah yeah before beforehand before falling into roof tiling and in roof tiling you were pretty successful in that yeah so before my incarceration i Took over the company, so my my boss actually got sick with cancer, um, and he was of age to retire anyway. So yeah, pretty much ended up buying the company off him, running the company pretty successfully until until I got incarcerated. So what age were you when this happened? So like you just walk us through this one. So you you're you've got your you've done your full apprenticeship. Yep. yep. So I started when I was fifteen. I finished my apprenticeship when I was eighteen. Um, took over the company when I was twenty one. Um, then went to jail. <laughs> Ambitious, uh, not going to jail, but ambitious yeah. to, well, um, to be able at that age to take over a company. Yeah, look, it was it was a bit nerve wracking because while my boss was uh, sick in hospital and stuff, he had he had melanoma in the 
in the ear. So he, I was kind of running the company while he was in, in hospital. So I was doing most of the stuff already. Um, how many how many staff did you have? And um, So there was, I got up to six six employees. Yeah. Um, so we were doing probably about three to four jobs a week comfortably. Yeah. Um, but like the hours were long. So like you could imagine just taking over the company from scratch. I was pretty much working seven days a week. Um, I'd be lucky to work six. So paperwork on weekends and... I was going to say doing the administration the, part. Yeah. I'm really interested in you doing that yourself. Yeah, I was doing that myself. And Fun times. Yeah, it's not It's not the best. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine. Yeah. So you had a lot of pressure on you at that age. Yeah, probably quite young as well because I had my, my, my youngest son when I was 17 as well. So I kind of... I guess I matured a lot earlier than most people would. Yeah. Um, you know, I I was just churning out work and, you know, being a good father figure and everything like that. Now, how is it like now um, not being the boss and, and just coming up to, turning up to work and just doing the job? <laughs> yeah, well... How's that? Like, after... When I got released, I I had a good think about it and I was like, well... You either make a change now or you're going to be stuck roof tiling for the rest of your life. Yeah. And I thought, fuck, I don't want to be 65-year-old like my boss and just still be roof tiling. So I thought, no, nah, I'm going to make a change. And, you know, that played a big part of it and being able to have that flexibility with running the company and going, oh, look, the kids are crook today. I'm, I'll just knock off at 1 o'clock yeah. instead of being like rock up every day. But the benefit of, of having an employer is you, you finish work and you're done for the day. That's right. You don't have paperwork. You don't. No. Have any headaches, except for the boss. <laughs> we won't mention that. We had him on. We had Damien on a couple of weeks ago. So shout out to Damien, yeah. a.k.a. the headache. <laughs> um, yeah, but now nah, look, I, I, had, I, I did weigh up the, the, the decision. And like I said, it's either make, make the change now and move on and get to where I want to be in life um, or just be roof tiling. And I wasn't enjoying roof tiling, so... Like when you do something you're not enjoying, you you don't put your heart and soul in it, mm. and every day becomes a drag and a struggle. Mm. Yeah, I remember having that conversation with you. Um, yeah, back inside, and you know you were pretty keen to get back into it, into work straight away. Yeah, yeah. Which I was like, well, that's awesome, but I guess you were lacking a little bit of direction on how to do that. You know, you, yeah. I think we had a conversation that you had some connections and everything like that that you were going to hit up. After you got out, but then you weren't too sure on how that was going to go. Yeah, look, I, I had a few people in mind and, and, you know, a few different paths to take. But, mm. look, I went with the secure option, which is Rebuild. So now I work full-time for Rebuild. And they're great. They've been really helpful since I've since I've got out, um, flexibility and stuff. And, yeah, you're right. I wasn't sure on which avenue to take on, on the, the direction to, sorry, the, the path to where I want to be. And that's where Damo comes into into play. He, you know, he's always been like, Pete, what do you want to do? He's like, you come work for us, we'll get you where you want to be. And I'm like, oh, you know, is this bloke just feeding me carrots or what? Yeah, and you know, <laughs> it's interesting you say that as well because you know, in the, in the justice system, there are a lot of services. Yeah, um, yeah, and it, sometimes they don't come to fruition you know yeah that's yeah that's right yeah a lot of guys that you know i've worked with before second guess what's being told to yeah them. yeah that's and you know i've had them thoughts too mm. you know we, i have chats with with, with damo and and you you know you kind of think like do they understand where i want to be and mm. like are they are they telling me the truth um 
but look, Damo's been completely honest with me. Um, Rob and Ross, have, they've also been a massive, massive uh, support, yeah. both inside and outside. I've still been in contact with them. Um, and, yeah, them blokes, mate, they work wonders. Well, it's credit to you as well because, you know, you've, you know, put your um, best foot forward. You know, you've always shown up, you know what I mean, showed initiative, but also um, from all reports, you know, you've been someone that people like to be around and, yep. and you've always worked really well and, and never give anyone an issue. So it's obviously, you know, you can see from running your own business and, and having that installed and being a father at a young age, you have taken that responsibility on yourself. So let's go to uh, to where you go from running your own business and having six staff and, uh, you know, obviously a, a young family. So, you know, from the outside looking in, it would have been going, this guy's a bit of a go-getter. Like he's, you know, he's doing things. I know what, at 21 years of age, I certainly wasn't doing that. I can tell you that. I wasn't running my yeah. own business. I, I, was, <laughs> I was running away from any business that came near me. Um, but like, um, I think that, you know, where does it then suddenly talk us through a little bit about where it starts to unfold a little bit for you and what were the reasons behind that? Yeah, so um, I started. So roof tiling, I was I was doing I was doing well roof tiling. Um, you know, just starting out. You know, money's slow at the start as it is always, but a few months in, you know, things got going. Um, had the staff, had the crew, had you know, had everything going, um, and I think everything just became a bit too much. Work, like work, stress. Um, like I said, I, I kind of wasn't really taught how to run a company and organize certain things. Um, and you know, it all takes its toll on you. And when I was younger back then, 21, I, I, I couldn't express myself the way I do today. Um, like I struggled talking about feelings and, and, and everything else. So I was drinking a lot of the time as well to, to just to cope with the stress and everything. Like, like I said, working six to seven days a week. And and not really having much me time or, or even time with the kids as well because you're always thinking about work, what's tomorrow, what's is this bloke going to rock up, what if he doesn't rock up, I'm a day behind. And, yeah, it just doesn't stop. You don't stop thinking. You, 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 you keep thinking about what's next. So that kind of led me to, to being incarcerated because I didn't have that ability to think things through properly and and also express myself um so being able to to now express myself and and talk about how i'm feeling inside uh makes a huge difference um so leading up to my offense which was an assault i i was like i said i was stressed with work i wasn't dealing with emotions properly um and I just, I just kind of reached my breaking point. Um, I wasn't sure how to deal with the situation appropriately. Made the, the worst choice or outcome I could have made. Um, and yeah, got locked up for it. So how long did you? How long did you get um, locked up for? Uh, so my sentence is f- five and a half years, and I, I've served three, three years, one month in in jail. So what's it like when you're standing in the courtroom and, you know, and you've 
you know, you know, like you've obviously had this potential, you know what you're capable of. Yeah. You know where, you, you know, your life could, could go a bit, but you obviously you have a lot of pressures on you. You're still a young man. Yeah, 21 is still very young. What was it like when that sentence is passed down to you? What goes through your head there? Um, I mean, it's nerve-wracking standing in front of a, a big courtroom like that. And I remember the judge going, oh, this, this, um, this offence carries a maximum of 25 years. And I'm sitting there going... Fuck, I'm stuffed here. I'm I've gone away. For, I'm going away for a long time. And he goes, he goes. I I sentence you to to five and a half years imprisonment with a non-parole period of three. Um, and to be honest, it didn't hit me straight away because I've already I, by that time I've I had already done 19 months on remand. Yeah. Um. So you know they once finished in court, they take you back down to the cells and and put you in there and. Your head's going a million miles an hour going, fuck, how am I gonna how am I gonna cope with another at least nineteen months or eighteen months before before getting out? Um and yeah, you kind of feel like punching the wall and doing everything else, but like it's not gonna get you anywhere. Um and it didn't really hit me until or soak in for about th- probably three months after I got sentenced, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not a serial offender? No. So no, this so is really important because we, we have a lot of people that we speak to, you will <clears> see the pattern of, you know, growing up from a certain age and they're in and out of juvie, you know, they're consistently offending. Yeah. Are we talking one offence? One offence, first offence. First and and only. Yeah. yeah. That's that's a really important thing to for the listeners to hear as well, like that. You know, yeah. an action or um, a decision that you can make can have such yeah. such a, an effect and impact on your life and, and everyone around your life as well. And in that moment, um, yeah, it's, it's it's just really important to know that like that 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 can actually lead to this, you know. Well, that's a change. That's a thing. Like before going to to jail and stuff, like you're just a, a normal bloke going to work every day, um, you know, providing for the family, putting food on the table coming home, cooking meals and playing with the kids, reading them, reading them uh, bedtime stories and everything. And then all of a sudden you, you get locked up and you've got this stigma attached to you. Yeah. Like you're a bad person and, and you know what I mean, like like stereotyping people that have been to jail. And, and I've seen it both sides. Like there's a lot of normal people that do go to jail and people don't realise that like it could just be for hitting someone with a car, They you know get six months anywhere up to two years for it mm. and you know people don't realize that mm. that just like anyone can go to jail did you have time to prepare yourself because was it like everything just happened in an absolute like, like a hurricane it happened so quick yeah that like yep. offense locked up and remand like you know kept wherever you are remand and then suddenly you're into prison. Like, is it that was it that quick of a process for you? Did yeah, you have any so, time to get it through your head of what was happening? I was just like, you were just going through this crazy kind of whirlwind, and all of a sudden you're in behind bars. Yeah, so like the the, the cops come and grab me like early in the morning, about four thirty. Yeah. Uh, they were knocking on the door, um, and yeah, that was it. Just they took me down to to the police cells, and I remember sitting there thinking, "Shit, mate, I'm getting hungry." When I get out today, I'm going to go across the road and get some Hungry Jacks. And I never got out. I was in there for three years. So um, I never got my Hungry Jacks. No. <laughs> well, 
you aren't taking a healthy option in a bad way there. But yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. But that is, that's so, it's so amazing to say that. Like you, yeah, just, your process, your mindset was, I'm going to be strolling across the Hungry Jacks and getting myself. Yeah, you yeah. Know, like uh, I didn't realise how, how serious the offence was that I, I committed. Yeah. In that, yeah, in that regard, like I thought, oh yeah, just at the cop station, you know, the cops will let me go tonight. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll make my way home like nothing happened. Yeah. You made your way home, but it was three years later. Three years later. So you're on remand for 19 months. Yeah. It's very well documented that there's a big difference between uh, with people's mental health, with being on remand yeah. and being sentenced. Yeah. How did it feel being on remand compared to being sentenced? Um, a lot of people don't like, like being on remand. Uh, they think, you know, because you're not sure when your end date is. Or when you when you can potentially get out, I was kind of the opposite because it kind of breaks it up into three or four months blocks. Because you have court, uh, you always have court to look forward to. Do you know what I mean? When I got sentenced and I had to do another seventeen months, sixteen months uh, before my my earliest parole date, uh, the first year was just a drag. Um, and yeah, I think in that in that respect, I think. The time on remand kind of went quicker than it did when I got sentenced. But yeah, obviously towards the, the end of my sentence, um, time did start going a lot faster because you you have that ability to move on to different jails, to better rating jails and and everything as well. When you're on remand, you don't have that flexibility. Where did you like? Um, where did you start your remand? Um, so I started uh, at the map which is the Melbourne Assessment Prison, then went from there to MRC, from MRC to Marganite, and then from Marganite over to Ravenhall. Yep. Yep. And there was, a, was there a big difference in each one of those centres? Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely going from MRC to Marganite because at MRC you've got to eat with plastic forks and spoons and everything else. And I remember, I remember going through my bag going... The, what the fuck they've given me knives and and forks and that i was just a shock like that that the, they gave you actually actual cutlery in that there and just like the the way you're able to move around the, the yard and stuff so much easier at marganet compared to mrc so how did you prepare yourself when you went into prison like obviously you know what you would have you're not a person that's been in there you're not a person that's, yeah. you know, that's had that kind of life. So you haven't got a taste of it. So suddenly you're in amongst this. Um, how did you, what was what was the key things that you kind of did at the very start to to make your time a bit easier um, and also keep yourself, you know, a bit safer and so forth? Um, well, I was, I was pretty scared when I first like went in, I'll be honest. Like, um, it's a big shock. There's a lot of big blokes in there. Um, and yeah, but like you, you kind of learn pretty quickly if you, like, if you're pretty switched on, you'll learn pretty quickly and, um, just be yourself. I found if you, if you're just yourself with people and you're honest then you don't have any dramas at all. Um, but typically I'm pretty, um, antisocial, I guess. Um, so I don't like being around like a whole group of people and stuff as well. Like I'll have a few mates and. And that's how it was in there too. Like you stick with the, f- the few mates that you know and get along with, and that's it. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a, a massive shock. 
And uh, what about the other side of this? What about like family and everything else around that? Did, yeah, yeah, well, that was probably the hardest hardest thing to cope with while while being in there because um, having two kids, um, so they were five five and two when I got locked up. My two year old couldn't even speak properly, um, and my five year old I missed the first day of school for him. Um, yeah, that was definitely the hardest. I mean, like missing, missing his first day of school, um, my son's first day of kinder, Christmases, um, you name it, first tooth getting lost, first haircuts, um, that's definitely the hardest. And then you feel the pressure of, of like my son, he wasn't comfortable telling people about where, where I was. Because he, he must have felt that 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 stigma um, come on him if he told someone he was scared that he he would uh, be treated differently than than a normal a normal kid say with their parents at home. So he he also felt the the, the pressure to to lie to people as well and tell tell them that dad's working to state. Um, you know, I was honest with him. I told him where I was. He's old enough to understand, and I gave him that choice of what he, he, how he wants to handle the situation. He, he decided to, you know, just say, "Dad's not here. He's working interstate. He'll be back soon." To all his friends and and you know parents at school and whoever asked him. Um. But, like that's that's where it hit me the most is the kids. How do you, how do you parent from in prison? Like how, how? What do you do in that space? And that's like you know, yeah. time. Like, how do you figure out how to parent in prison? And, and what what was the kind of stuff that you felt was important to do, and and the struggles that you probably had the other side of? Um, look, my my oldest son is a gun, and both of us, like my 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 youngest and my oldest, um, we've always had a really close relationship. So. Um, either whenever they'd come in, I'd always ask them, you know, how they were, how they've been feeling, how's their week. And I think the most important thing is to just in, enjoy the time you get with them because once you're, once you're in there, you, you realize how much of these little, little things in life you're missing. Um, you know, tucking them into bed, washing them in the shower making sure they've got clothes and and food on the table and and every other little thing you can think of just just walking down the street with them um and being able to walk freely down the street whereas them coming in and you're only having so visits were two hours there you only have two hours to to be able to have something to eat with them play with them make sure they're feeling okay and then leaving again but then they're not feeling okay when they leave because they're they're upset and there's been that many visits where my son both my my children have been crying on the way out of visits and i've just got to watch them i can't console them i can't i can't help them in any way how do you how do you return to your you know your cell or you return to your unit after that like what does what was that doing to you every time yeah look um the pressure does get to you a bit, definitely, like it definitely got to me. Um, 
like I said, not being able to support them in any way, um, physically and emotionally, um, is, you know, it's really hard after visits because that's when you, like talking to them over the phone is completely different to seeing them in visits because that connection uh, of physicality is, is there in visits and you're able to to get that bond as close as you can again. But then, then, but then it's torn again straight away. Um, so that's, yeah, that's definitely my biggest struggle in, in prison was, was leaving visits and, and everything. Cause you get, you get so drained, you get so emotionally drained about my kids. Like, and when I got sentenced, I was like, shit, my oldest is going to be eight when I get out of that's three years I've missed, um, of him growing up and playing with him and, and, and being able to, to guide him in the right direction. And yeah, that that's definitely the biggest biggest challenge. I can imagine. I can imagine. I'm a father of three kids, and Max a father as well. So, yeah, even sharing that with me, just I'm feeling it. Yeah, like of what it is. So appreciate you, you know, sharing them that that moment because I know it's, it would have been really tough for you as well. So, so talking about in prison, moving a little bit forward, then tell us about how you started to then. You know, work on yourself, work on what you were going to do, and 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 get your time to be really productive in there as well. So tell us, talk us through some of the, you know, how your day was kind of, what was a typical day for you, and and uh, what what did you kind of put your head down into? So, um, before going to Ravenhall, where I, I met the guys at Rebuild, before going there, um, my day was mainly just working out, training and eating eating right and also doing a lot of self-work. Like I said, I wasn't able to express myself freely um, before before going to prison. So I thought, like, now's my opportunity to reflect on myself and make myself a better person and father figure for, for my kids. Um, so that's what I did before going to Ravenhall. At Ravenhall, I, I got told about this program called Rebuild um, you know, one of the one of my mates was doing it. He's like, he's like, oh, it's really good. He's like, you get to make toys and stuff. He's like, the guys here are great. Um, he's like, just come in and give it a crack. So Damien, I met with Damien and gave him a brief brief background on where I was um, and where I wanted to be. And straight away, he's like, yep, come in. Um, and that's where I met Robin Ross. Um, clicked with them really well. And funny thing is, they're they're the only two people that I could talk to normally in there. Just as a normal everyday bloke, uh, they, I showed them a lot of respect and, and they gave it back. Um, very supportive and, and everything in there. So from there, um, a normal day was t- to go to work, rebuild and make toys and chopping boards and, and, and these other, other bits and bobs too. Um, and that that consumed most of my day. Um, just so for the listeners, now, um, Robin Ross are the two facilitators that run the rebuild program in the prison. So they, you know, basically spend the days with the with the guys, helping them, teaching them trade skills, also you know important kind of life skills. And then we also make them the range of products that we make as well. So they do a tremendous job in there. So a bit of a shout out to them too as well. Um, and uh, and yeah, you're a you're. Um, I was speaking to uh, to Damien about the manager of Rebuild as well, and and he was singing your praises um, on you know the products that you make, 
And I think one of the ones that I, when we wanted to make a product was a, was a, one of our grazing boards, which uh, which everyone should have one of, just a little slight <laughs> dig in there. But um, but you're a little bit of a star behind one of the, making it out, I believe. Yeah, so I remember Damo came in one day and he's he's got Ross in the office and he's reaming him. He's going, Ross, mate, I need these grazing tables now. <laughs> That's a flow-on effect because I probably yeah. had Damo on the other side going, Damo, we need these grazing tables. Yeah. I'm beginning to see this picture of how it falls down the line and yeah. it ends up with you, yeah. Pete, so I apologise for that. But I'm also thankful it was you. Yeah, so Ross, Ross is like, all right, mate, I'll work on a few designs. And, you know, I see Ross over on the bench going, doing his head in. He's not, he's not doing much. Yep. So I'll go over there and go, Ross, what are you doing, mate? What do you need help with? And he goes, oh, Damo wants these grazing tables. Sure enough, I got stuck making them. So I came up with this design. And, um, yeah, real simple, real easy, and real reliable. Is it, um, and I'm beginning now to get a picture painted for me. Um, one of the parts of it when they came back to us, this grazing table, if anyone sees these grazing tables, you can go into our rebuild shop and you'll see them. And they're, they're, they are, like, I'm, I am a bit biased, but they're, they're amazingly cool. Like, and... You know, they have, you know, adjustable legs, so, you know, they can, you know, if it's on adjustable, a heel, yeah. yeah, it can all be level and so forth. But one of the things that was around the adjustable legs was when they gave me the, the prototype was that we just had this wooden pin and it would only go into legs. And I was like, man, we're going to lose that pin. Like, yeah. we're going to lose. But he was telling someone was saying that, he goes, oh, one of the guys was um, was thinking about how to make this or how to, how, to, how to actually get it. And they kind of had this wake up in the night and were going, I've got it. That was and, me. And that was you. <laughs> um, so I'm now getting the picture. So that was you, Paul. So then you obviously yeah. woke up in in, in night and then and then came around and had, had the idea of how to fix the wooden pin in to give it the to make it adjustable yep. and then it's all been attached as well, which uh, which is a vital part to the to the, to the actual grazing board. So yeah. yeah. So talk us through what it is like that, like when you're making um, products with your hands and so forth in in the rebuild shop, like. Mentally, is that just a really, really good way? Like, is, is it really a really positive thing for you to do and, and so forth and, and everyone else around that was in the program? Yeah. Um, I really enjoy doing, like, stuff like that, hands-on activities and uh, being able to make toys and grazing boards and chopping boards and everything else. Um, also being able to, to teach some of the younger guys in there how to use certain hand tools and stuff. And that that's where I filled in a lot of my time because I was able to make some, some toys to send home to the kids and be, and you know, and they love it. They absolutely love it. Like I've sent home that many toys. They're, they're all just scattered around the house now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they like for them being able to get a gift from their father in jail mm. is it meant the world to them. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's how I filled up a lot of my time was, you know, being put on these certain projects like the grazing table uh coming up with ideas and you're right i did wake up in the middle of the night i think it was about 2 30 i remember bingo got the idea yeah i'll let ross learn tomorrow and ross come in the following day and he goes pete he goes i wake up about 2 30 in the morning and i had no idea i go did you mate i go oh, i had an idea too <laughs> <laughs> what are the same idea <laughs> His idea was a little bit different to mine, but we went with mine. Yeah. <laughs> because at the end of the day, he did hand it down to me. Yeah, yeah. that's right. He's a man of his word. Yeah. Still, yeah. Uh, do you see this? Still the boss. Yeah, Still the boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we went with my idea and, yeah, come up with, with that design, which is, yeah, really good to be able to pass time and, and keep my, my mind active and, and, and 
being yeah hands on with everything. That's great. And so then, you know, you you're finished. How long did you spend in Ravenhall? What was that? What was that last piece of your um, sentence? So I did the bulk of my sentence at Ravenhall. Right. I did. I did. I'd say two and a half years there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So I was with Rebuild for, I'm going to say two years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, which is great. And and um, then I'm trying to like, you know, think about how it all works out for you moving towards your exit date. So, you know, you, really interested to hear this. So do you, you automatically come for parole. You have a, a period of time where you're eligible for parole, yeah? And that was after three and a half years, was something around that? After three years. After after three yeah. years, you're eligible for parole. You go up in front of the parole board? So I have a parole officer. Yeah. Um, they're, they're kind of like they're kind of like your lawyer for the parole board. Yeah. So they write up a report of why you should get parole, uh, all the pros, all the cons as well. They present that to the parole board and then the parole board sit around a table like we are. Yeah. Um, from my understanding, sit around a table like we are and make a decision whether to grant you parole or deny your parole. Right. So you don't have to speak in front of it. You just have to just, you know, build nah, a case I'd, with your parole officer. Yep. I have to build a case, have to tell them what I'm doing uh, in jail and once I'm released, what are my plans, what are my goals. Um, yeah. And just... Submit the case. Accommodation. Yeah. Or your set up afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Was there a time period where you had to wait on that kind of verdict and whether you were going to be granted parole? Yeah. So, mate, that period of time dragged like there was no tomorrow. I mean, every day felt like two days. The The process takes about four to six weeks um, from once your case, your parole officer has your report written up. And during that time, you get a letter saying your parole application has been submitted, you'll have an answer within four weeks. Then four weeks dragged that long, mate. I remember getting towards the end of them going, come on, where, where's my answer, you know? I'm ringing, ringing the missus and, and, you know, she's getting on to the parole officer going, what's going on? Is he coming home? And I was actually supposed to find out before my partner did and I still remember the phone call. I was in rebuild and I picked up the phone. She goes... Have you got anything to tell me? No. She goes, you're coming home. I go, no way. I'm coming home. She goes, you're coming home on the 10th. So I've been out just over a little bit over a month now. And I couldn't believe it. Like the the, the feeling of being able to come back out into society and, and back to my family and kids. Mm-hmm. So we actually told my, my family a fake date. So I gave them a date five days later and I rocked up and the kids were in the, in the lounge room at home. And I walk through the front door and they've just come bolting. Both, um, so my, my missus had uh, her parents there and her, her grandma as well. And everyone's just started crying. Felt like it was a funeral. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the kids have come bolting and they've just been hanging off me ever since. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. giving me tingles. Yeah. yeah. it's Mate, I'll tell you what, the, the, the feeling is, mm. is um, it's one of a kind. Yeah. Yeah, I never want to experience it again, but it's yeah, 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 that's incredible. And so, um, so when you found out when your when your um, when your missus gave you the phone call and that, yeah, how long did you have left then to stay? And the, did you have a couple of days or was it straight? Yeah, it was. Um, I think it was about ten days. Ten days. Yeah, long ten days. Poor oh, mate, I was waking up like 
I thought I was bad working out that grazing table. At <laughs> 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 2.30 in the morning, I was going to sleep at like 8 o'clock, waking up at 12 going, oh, come on. Yeah. Is it, is it the like, following day? Yeah. Trying to sleep your way <laughs> yeah. through it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Mm. Um, yeah, just sleepless, restless, anxious. I was going to say about the anxiety, like, yeah. did, you, did your mind start to then go, like, obviously it's overwhelming excitement. You want to see your kids, your family, you want to get back to there. Does it, does it, then is there a percentage of it that goes, right, I'm going back out into the, into the real world now. What's, what's waiting for me? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the thing. You, you kind of question yourself, like, are you ready? Like, you've got to do this. You're going. Like, you've got no choice now. They're kicking you out. Um, and yeah, you kind of prepare yourself in that way. Like all these plans you've been thinking about while you're in, while you're in here, time to start putting them into into perspective when you get out. And you say, and you're fresh out the gate at the moment. That's yeah, about four weeks ago. Yeah, so still learning how to bloody use a phone again. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry, mate. <laughs> Mac teaches me every day. I'll, look, I'll facilitate another yeah, a yeah, phone class after this. He's my instructor. He is at the moment <laughs> trying to do social media. <laughs> So, so when you, when you got out, what's some activities that you did straight away? Oh, mate, you wouldn't believe it. Um, so the first day I got out, I had to go down to the parole office and do all that stuff. Um, and it was a beautiful day. It was about 27 degrees. So me and my partner go, we'll take the kids down to, to the lake. Uh, we'll let them go have a splash around and, and just let them enjoy themselves. We'll be out, out in nature, have a picnic and, and everything else. And yeah, it was just a surreal experience. Mm. Yeah, just being able to be free again and and go wherever you want to go. Yeah, yeah. What was the biggest thing you noticed that changed? I'll tell you what, the bloody traffic hasn't changed. (laughs) 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 I I said to my partner on the way home, I go, babe, weren't they working on these roads when I got locked up? (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, you, you, you think being in there, you think the whole world's just moving on so far without you. And you think you're not going to know yourself when you get out, but realistically, you get out and everything's still the same. Like, yeah, there's a few different roads, a few new houses, a um, few new shops, things like that. Um, but the people still the same. Um, you look around the city and everybody looks like they're in a rush to go nowhere. Um, yeah, just everything's pretty much the the same. Did you settle in? Did you feel settled? Nah, so the first the first two weeks I was out, like I remember me and, my, me and my partner and the kids were all just looking at it and like even my youngest, he's looking at me going, Dad, is this real? Are you home? Like it was just shock. You, we couldn't believe that the, like the time had actually come where where, I, where I'm home because being in there for so long, you start questioning yourself going, shit, am I ever getting out? Um, and then it took took probably up until about, yeah, three three weeks for us to go, like this is... This is it. And then it kind of felt like I never left. And then everything fell kind of straight back into, you know, normality. Um, and in that regard, it, it's all been working out really, really well and transitioning very smoothly. Mm. And I think when you, you're saying, you know, when society doesn't feel like it's changed at all, but I think like you mentally have changed yeah. an incredible amount. Yeah, that's, yeah. And that's part of that self-work I was doing. So was that something that you took on yourself or was it a course that you did in there or what was it? Nah, so um, it probably took me, say, a good couple months to try and figure myself out and, um, you know, you really start to reflect on yourself. I realised there was a lot of 
opportunities that I hadn't taken, um, a lot of dealings with people I could have handled differently. And I started thinking, if you can improve yourself in that aspect, you're going to become a better person. And, you know, my, my partner's always told me, once you're happy within yourself, you'll make everyone else happy around you. So I kind of took it on board and, yeah, just worked on myself in there. And things I needed to work on was being able to open up and, and deal with uh, emotions and feelings because um, I kind of grew up in a household where that stuff didn't really get bored up. Like, you know, um, my dad was a bit hard um, and you weren't really allowed to express yourself. So... I always, I've always felt the need to, to, to better myself, and I always say there's room for improvement, no matter how old you are. Mm. So, yeah, I, I, I took it upon myself to, to, to do a lot of self work and, mm. and improve. It's um, it's obviously still very fresh because you're like a, you know only you know four weeks. How does the conversation you have now with your kids and people that you're meeting again? you know, for the first kind of time since you've been away? Because, like, it's over three years. Like, it's, yeah. it's, a long, it's a long stretch of time, you know, to be away. So do you have that? You talk about being open and all that. Are your kids curious about it? Are they talking to you about it? Are people curious when they meet you? And are you are you more, oh, I don't want to talk about it, or are you more like, oh, look, I'll talk a bit about it, or are you kind of, no, you know what, I'm happy to talk anything about it? Um. Yeah. It's different meeting people for the first time because they're not sure how to how to bring it up. I've got no no issues about talking about it. it like, yeah. um, if you know me, you know I've been to jail. So what? Big deal. Talk to me about it. I don't I don't mind. But it is uh, kind of a touchy subject for people to bring up because they're not sure how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, the kids, mate, they they're just like nothing ever happened now. Right. They're just they're just happy to have their dad. Yeah, just yeah, just happy to be able to play with me again and 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 spend time together again. Um, but yeah, like it's not a touchy sub. I don't think it's a touchy subject for me. I'm mm. I'm, I'm open with it. Um, I've got no issues talking to people if they've got questions like, "What did you get up to? What are the people like? What are the what are the officers like?" Um, I've got no no issues with with any of that. I think it's and it's good for you. Like I think it's powerful that you can. Because it's it's a real educational thing. This is what like this podcast is about is about, you know, giving people like yourself an, an opportunity to speak and, and to and for us to all learn um different parts of, you know, what you've been through, what it's like in prison. And you know, we have multiple stories and multiple young people come in and do and as I said to you before, everyone's different. Yes, there's some similarities that yeah, there's been an offence or offending, there there's been a you know, a prison sentence. But there's all you're all different people. And there's yeah. different ways and different emotions about how you all go through it. And everything is, nothing is the same. So even what you're speaking about today, your experience is, is you know, is very different to other people as well. So there's a lot to be learned from that is, is where yeah. I'm going with that as well. So I, I, like, I love the fact that you say that you're really open to speak about it because I think the more people can speak about it and feel comfortable in themselves to speak about it, the more other people will learn more about that. Um, and the stigma and that stereotype will will, will suddenly yeah. kind of ease a little bit more, you know? Yep, yep, I, I agree with that. Um, you know, that, that stigma of someone that's been to jail is, you know, a, a bad person or a hard-ass or whatever. Um, don't get me wrong, there are there are people like that. Um, but you, you don't... 
you don't know who people are until you meet them. Mm. So you can't, like the old saying, you can't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. Um, even, you know, um, hearing about someone through people, you can't go off what they say. You need to meet them yourself and get an, get an understanding for yourself. And, you know, if you don't like the person, you don't like the person. But like you said, everyone's different. Everyone has their own opinions. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's great to, to hear the backstory a lot of the time because especially like in mainstream media and everything like that, they're just going to promote what sells. Yeah. Know? And like, and we kind of miss out, you know, what, what led to people going to this point. Yeah. And being <clears throat> open how you are and talking about it is part of the puzzle as well to change the stigma of people that have been to prison because we can tell just by having a conversation with you, like the amount of growth that you have had over the last three years where a lot of people might think of that cliche like, oh, you go to prison, you just get educated in, in crime. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There are people that do that. There are. Yeah. There are. But I think it's it's fair is not the right word. It's not uh, it's it's un it's unfair for people that have gone through that that change process, which is a very difficult process, yeah. you know, um, mentally, and they've come through the outside, and then they're just going to be painted with the same brush as that's, everybody yeah, else. That's exactly right. And like you said, that's what the mainstream media do. Mm. Like you said, they just paint them with the same brush and and lock them up. Um, I'm not saying what I. What I did, I didn't deserve to be locked up for. I, I made a mistake and I've, I've paid, to, you know, paid what's due. And, you know, just having that stigma attached to you, you, you do feel it. Um, like you said, uh, Mick, it's, a, it's harder to have conversation with certain people. They're not sure how to bring it up. And, you know, they're not sure. I'm not sure about what they're thinking about me. One, one of the common things that I've, since we started doing this podcast, is, um, is you hear the people that we've interviewed saying, I spend a lot of time walking on myself. Isn't that like every episode we've done, I've nearly think you can re- listen back and hear that from someone as well, which goes to the point that you were making, Mark, about, you know, when you're in time, like when you're doing time as well, that, you know, not everyone is there to hone their skills, you know, and to do more crime. There is a lot of people that, that generally walk on themselves and do the reflection piece. Um, was it difficult for you to reflect a little bit um, around what you did and that, the remorse for that as well? Like, did you did you really take that on on when you were in prison? Did you like kind of say to yourself, "Yeah, you know what, I understand what I've done and how it's had an effect." Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I'm definitely not proud of the the crime I committed, or I don't feel like there's a need to brag about it or to talk about it at all. Um, you know, in that sense of, you know, pumping up my tyres or anything like that. Um, but there is definitely a lot of, um, there was a lot of pressure there for me to, to, to better myself and have that, that opportunity to, to come out this a better person than what I came in. Even though, like, I wasn't a bad person coming in, um, but I wasn't going to just waste my time uh, being in there. So what's um what's important in your life now? Like you know, obviously you've you know you're you're back at home, your kids, family, everything around you now. So, what's the important things in life that you're enjoying doing right now? Just the little things, mate. Just the little things, tiny, tiny little things like having dinner with your family. Not many people realise how much it actually means here, but 
trust me, once you've been in a situation like mine, it means a lot. Yeah. It, um, you know, even just, I remember that my partner saying, what's the first thing you want to do when you get out? I said, to be honest, I said, just go for a walk down the street. Just you, me and the kids, we'll go down for a walk and just take everything in. Um, and, yeah, just the little things, like things don't, things people don't even think of. Um, that's that's what means the most to me now. Being able to kick the footy with my my two in the two boys in the backyard. Um, yeah, because you realise how much has really been taken away from you once once you are released and you have you have it all back. Um, and yeah, you, you like you come out and you see everyone with their heads down looking at their phones. And you just think, mate, what are you doing? Have a look around you. You've got all these beautiful trees and, and birds and wildlife around you and you're sitting there looking at your bloody screen. Mm. Um, and I think I think that's, you know, that's something everyone needs to acknowledge is, you know, take, take a bit more of uh, the world in um, and in, enjoy the, the, the world and the universe. Mm. Well said, I think, yeah, very wise words. Um and what about career-wise now? Obviously, you know, you're, you know, superstar making grazing tables. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we want to keep you doing that for a while. But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but now, what's your ambitions in, in, in your career now and so forth? Like, have you, have you taught too much further down the track or are you just happy just doing what you're doing at the moment and, and um, working that out? I have, I have thought a bit further because, you know, um, I love Rebuild. I love what they're about. And I, I feel like I'll always have uh, something to do with them. Whether it's coming in and have a chat, or or you know just just for a catch up, um, but I have thought about moving on, and I really want to get into form work, um, and that's that's where I want to end up. I've spoke to spoke to Damien about that, and he's like, "Yep," he's like, "Mate, as soon as it comes up, you're in." Um, so yeah, that's that's where I want to end up long term. And you know, it's really like make this point as well that when rebuild when we employ young people and rebuild yes some of these young people have no skills and and never had a job and that's what's really important for because they just don't have the skill sets to probably at this stage go and find a job because they have no resume they have no one to back them and they don't know how to go about it so that's why it's massively important in that sense to give them the first start and and then to you know i suppose absorb all the 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 things that go with that like you know, if they mess up a little bit, they don't turn up for work, it gets too much, it's overwhelming, that we can be there, support them and get them back along the way and get them to where, they, where they're, you know, functioning really well in a job. And it's the other side of it that, you know, I hope a lot of our stakeholders, a lot of our contract partners and just people in general understand that there's people like you, Paul, that's ran their own business, has gone through the whole process, has gone through an apprenticeship, has, you know, done the four, the three years that you've done, um, as you say, took over a business at 21 years of age, you know? God, it's, it's a big thing. Um, did all the administration work, all the paperwork, all that, you know? And, and you know, your life takes a turn, but you have all these skills. You're such a, like, highly functioning uh, young person, and, you know, you're a man now, not a young person. Um, so it's really, I think people need to understand that as well, that within this business, there's room for everyone. And that's the beauty of the business. 
because you can have someone like Paul walking with someone who's got no skills, like a very low skill, right? And but you both have this understanding that you're both trying to go in a direction where you're getting your lives back on track. And I think that's the beauty and the essence of it and why it works in as well. So, um, so yeah, look, man, I commend you on what you, you know, on what you're doing. And, uh, and we're really like, you know, we're really lucky to have you, I think. You know, it's, you know, I know you give everything to us and you've, you've, you've said like, you know, you love working and rebuild, but it's right back at you. You know what I mean? Everyone that speaks about you and everything else is just, it's nothing but positivity. Um, and we hope that, you know, you're, 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 whatever you do, we're, you know, will be successful and, and we'll always be here for you. You know, um, and you know, you'll always be making grazing boards on the side for us. Maybe we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll talk about that one off here anyway. Selling, uh, selling them down at Vic Market. That's right. Is it Caribbean Gardens? I see, you, I see you rocking up there with grazing tables, mate. Get ready, get your get your solicitors. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, trademarking, mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, a question that I always finish with. So we ask everyone that comes on. So when you were um, young. What did you want, when you grew up, what did you want to be? I just wanted to be a good father. Um, my father was not the best, so I always told myself I'm going to be a better father. And that's all I want to be, mate. Just a good role model and a good dad. I don't know, I feel like it's probably one of the most important jobs, if the most important job that you have as a, as a, as a, as a male. Like, obviously, being a good husband and... and uh, yeah, like, yeah. I said in case my wife's listening. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, but, don't um, worry, she's not. No, she's not. <laughs> she, she tuned out yeah. after two minutes of episode one. <laughs> not the trailer, I reckon. Can't listen to him anymore. But, uh, but um, yeah, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a very important job and it's, um, it takes a lot of work. You yeah, know what I mean, so it couldn't. It's it's that one of the hardest ones to get right. I think sometimes. Yeah, well. exactly. Yeah, definitely is. And uh, you make a lot of mistakes along the way, but you learn and move on. That's it. Yeah. Now I got a feeling that you're two young boys are looking to have you. I know you've been through a lot, but um, you know, I just listened to you today, and and uh, and I think that yeah, you know, you, they'll be very lucky to have a, a father like you. And I know you got you got so much more to give them. You're only you're only still very young, so mm. you've got all your life ahead of you, mate. And you you're doing great great things with it now. So you know, wishing nothing but the best um, going forward as well. And, and thanks for coming in today, and thanks for being you know uh, sharing some of that stuff with us because I know it's not easy, you know, uh, especially around when you're talking family and kids and being incarcerated and so forth. So really, really appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks, Mick. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Good to be here. Next week on A Time to Rebuild. How am I going to justify this money to anyone that I've made? So it was just like, you make it that way, you just spend it. There was points where I was making $30,000, $40,000 a day. How long would it take you to go through $20,000 or $40,000 of spending? That night, gone. Not even a pack of cigarettes when I was leaving Grand Casino. If anything in today's episode has raised any issues for you or someone you know, head over to our website for a full list of services that may help at ymcarebuild.org.au under the podcast tab. A way of helping us is to subscribe, share with friends and leave a review. If you want to take that next step, hit up our online store where you can purchase handcrafted wooden products. If you're sitting there going, I want to do everything I can, Get a quote for facility maintenance needs at your business. We're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and our website, www.ymcarebuild.org.
www.abc.org.au. This podcast was produced by Mick Cronin and Mark Wilson. Editing done by Mark Wilson.